Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Whatever podcast service you desire. If you can leave me a review on uh, Stitcher, that would be greatly appreciated. Not Stitcher, actually iTunes. I don't think they do reviews on Stitcher. But anyway, hope everybody's doing well here on this uh, Sunday. And it seems like every Sunday when we convene, uh, the Mets lose a ball game, which always makes this show a little saucier. Um. But anyway, you know, I'm going to start off real quick, uh, just letting you guys know who's coming up. Had a chance to catch up with uh, Danny Nobler a little bit earlier uh, this evening. Danny, uh, formerly of CBS, uh, with the Bleacher Report now. You've probably seen him on the MLB Network. He'll be joining me. We will talk Mets, but I also want to go around the league a little bit, get a little flavor of what uh, his thoughts are. Albert Pujols, his 600th home run. The Astros seem to be ripping through the league. Uh, what does he think? Is Colorado, is Arizona, are they for real? That's going to be 
a really big uh, question that will impact the Mets as they right now seemingly best case scenario would be uh, if they could ever get to 500, a wild card team. And uh, of course, we'll get into the Mets and, and some of the things that are going on there. But what's interesting to me uh, as we hit this, uh, this June, our first June show, and the, the thing that's first interesting is that how quickly the season goes by. I mean, really. It just seems like uh, it's flying by before you know it. It's going to be the all-star break. And that's why this start that the Mets have had, uh, the old saying, what is it, Yogi Berra, it gets late early? I mean, it gets late early. What you sow, I guess, what is it, what you reap what you sow, what you sow in spring training and all the preparedness that you put into spring training I think is what you reap throughout the regular season and not wins and losses. I'm not looking at that in terms of one loss record or outcomes, particularly in spring training, because those are, are very much deceptive because you're not playing in real conditions and you're also playing against various individuals who may never see a, a big league field, but buried. And this is what the best part about the new age of media is. You really can't hide when you say something. You just can't. Buried amongst all the stories and the columns and the post-game nonsense that you see on SNY every time you uh, you go into a game, there's always a nugget. Sometimes you have to listen, and you have to pay a lot of attention, and it's tedious. And in this day and age, so little is said in public press conferences or interviews on television or the radio that you almost glaze through them or turn them off or – don't pay attention to them. I mean, I, I, I'm as guilty as anyone. I don't pay attention to a lot of them. Earlier this week, Wayne Randazzo of WOR, who uh, covers the Mets, uh, what do you call, you know, does some play-by-play, obviously, does pregame interviews. He, and he does an interview with Terry Collins before every game. So if you're, you know, like I was, I was in the car. You turn on the pregame show, you listen to Pete McCarthy for a little bit, then you get into the Wayne Randazzo portion of the pregame show, and you hear the manager's interview, which most times I don't pay attention to. This time I did, and he threw a little nugget in there, and you'll hear nobody reference it, you'll hear nobody write about it, and it probably will never be talked about for the rest of the season. I'm surprised he said it. But with respect to the pitching staff, and honest to God, guys, I can't find the audio. I'd put it on here. I don't care if they'd sue me. I'd put it on here. So you could hear it. And maybe somebody in the audience who's listening heard this as well. Terry Collins said that perhaps we did not push these guys, meaning the pitchers in spring training, hard enough to prepare them for the season. I'm paraphrasing there. But that was the gist of the quote. He did then give a caveat and say, but they were coming off of injuries. Now, this is the second year in a row that we've heard something like that from this manager. Prior year, it was because, well, it was a long off season and they went deep into uh, October, into November, and we didn't want to push them. So basically, you're telling me your process is, you're not going to push pitchers into spring training, and you're going to use the regular season as a way to get them into shape. Which basically has led to 
every one of these very talented arms regressing over the two-year span since they played Kansas City in the World Series. And that's been the process. And to me, that, that is on the field staff. If you remember, and I think we talked about it on this podcast, at some point, late January, early February, there was a quote from Collins. Well, I've, I talked to Dan, meaning Dan Worthen, and, and I, he needs to come with a plan for these pitchers. I feel like saying, Terry, that's his job. You don't tell your pitching coach to come with a plan. His job is to have a plan. Map it out. Make sure everybody's ready for the start of the season. Not June 1st, the start of the season. But apparently that's not what this pitching coach and this manager does. They ease everybody in. And I'm not saying these guys should be pitching seven innings uh, in spring training. What I'm saying is that it's clear. Whatever they do, whatever their plan is, whatever their philosophy is, stupid things like, well, in, in PFPs, we're not going to have the pitchers throw, as if that's what's going to throw out their arms. It's, not obvious. it's obviously not working. Go to Baseball Reference now, tonight, if you're listening, tomorrow morning, after you get out of the car or the train or whatever you're doing now listening to this, and just go look at that entire starting rotation. Yes, Syndergaard, who is uh, pitching as well, Maybe not as well as he normally is, but he was having a good season up to that point. He had the bad start against Washington before he got hurt. Every one of these pitchers has regressed. Now, you take Zach Wheeler out of the equation because Zach Wheeler has been out for two years, and he's building his way back up. But give it time. Give it time. Um, They're not done with him yet. I'm sure something uh, wonky will go on before the year is out. The Grom is a league average pitcher. Harvey, forget it. He's a mess. I was told by the pitching coach that's been here eight years now, since 2008. Father's Day is coming up. I think that's his anniversary. Somewhere that week in 2008, they fired Rick Peterson, a real pitching coach, and hired this guy. That it would take to Memorial Day for Harvey to find his stuff. All right, you know, coming off a thoracic outlet. I get it. It's um, June 4th. Harvey's worse than ever. His command is off. He's nearly walking five batters per game. His strikeout rate has you know, dropped by 40%. He's down to less than seven per nine innings. Got a uh, uh, fielding independent pitching, which takes out all of the things that pitchers don't control over six. So... When the manager says that, and the man, a manager that tells everybody that he's honest, and I'm, my fault, so I'm too honest with everybody. I mean, I wish his bosses were listening. I wish I could grab that tape. I wish I could find that interview. Because I'd love for a reporter to grab that interview, listen to it, and say, Terry, what does this mean, and why is it two years in a row that this has happened? And then I'd go to his boss and say, this is acceptable because I've heard you say that Terry, under the circumstances, has done a great job. By the way, I keep hearing, well, he doesn't have his closer, he doesn't have his ace, he doesn't have his best hitter in Cespedes. Offense has been fine, averaging well over five runs a game without Cespedes. Cespedes can only help. So uh, that doesn't count. The closer certainly hurts. The bullpen's a mess with the closer, 
The guy barely was able to manage a bullpen last year when he needed to navigate an inning. It's a lot harder now. And some of that, listen, for any manager, when your starters are going four or five innings, it's going to be hard. You're going to burn them out. You're going to put guys in positions that they're really not built for. And you're going to lose a lot of ball games, which is what's happening. But it all goes back to me to the, again, there was no plan to help these starters get ready for the season. None. It's clear. And I don't want to hear there was. Because the manager admitted it on the air. And in a lot of ways, he was foreshadowing that they've never had one because they said back in February in a quote in the paper that I got you know Dan's got to go out and get a plan. What does Dan do? I saw that James Wagner of the uh, was it the Times wrote an article about how the, he goes out to the mound and he tells jokes. That is not helping. That, nothing, let me tell you something. There's nothing funny about what's going on out there. Nothing. Zero. The last thing I want to do is see Collins, Worthen, or anybody on that coaching staff, except for maybe Kevin Longway, I think he's done a good job since he's been here, crack a smile, because they all should be fired. It's a disgrace to this. Seven games under 500. And let me tell you something. Forget wild card talk. Forget whether they're in the contention or not. Until they get to 500, they're like every other trash team in the league. Every other trash team. Period, end of story. So you could do your math. You could say they're only eight out in the wild card, blah, blah, blah. It's early. They squandered. They're 500 over the last 10 games. They squandered a good opportunity this week to make some ground. Colorado and Arizona are starting to cool down a little bit. It'll really be up to the whether or not, because uh, I believe L.A. will take off in that division, whether Arizona and Colorado are going to stay at a high rate. I think Milwaukee will fall back. Chicago will eventually take off. I mean, look, the Cubs have struggled too, but they're a 500 team. They're hanging around 500. I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be happy with that, but at least that's a good base to take a, a catapult off. They need to get to the point where they can catapult. They're not even there yet. And it's all because, again, the people that you hired, and this is not a front office thing. And I keep hearing, well, Sandy built a flawed team. How can this team be flawed? Guys, I'm going to go right now. To the offense. So, wait, wait a second. Before, forget about the offense for a minute, which has done a pretty decent job. You're going to tell me, going into this season, you thought a team with DeGrom, Harvey, Gazelman, Wheeler, Syndergaard in the starting rotation, Reed, uh, Blevins, uh, Familia, Salas, that's a trash, a trash rotation that Terry can't win with? Come on. Stop. It, it, you know what it almost sounds like? It sounds like the same garbage excuses that we heard about Geno Smith for uh, how many times he was uh, a starting quarterback. When you're not good, you're not good. When you don't get it, you don't get it. When you're a bad manager, you're a bad manager. Okay? I could give this man an all-star team. He'll bumble it. He's not any good. And the example that you had was the 2015 World Series. They had all the momentum. Everything was going their way, and he found a way to foobar it because that's who he is. The front office, as much as I want, you know, everyone says, well, the front office these days, you know, the manager's just there to write the lineup card. Front office isn't down on the field preparing, putting a plan together. Uh, it may be to have input for the pitchers to get healthy. 
And if that's the case, that's pathetic. Because quite honestly, that's a pitching coach's job, and I don't think there's many people in that front office qualified to do that, including Sandy Alderson, who's a lawyer. And their analytics guys could go walk a plank because they ain't qualified to do that either. You need a real pitching coach. You got a guy in AAA, I think, that probably knows what he's doing. A guy who was taught by Johnny Padres when he was a pitcher who saved his career. I talked to him. I've interviewed Viola. I've talked to him. Guy who won a Cy Young Award, pitched big in the World Series. Wasn't always the best stuff out there. All these pitchers, for the most part, have been with him at some point. That's the guy you want to put in the position. Who cares what Sandy Koufax thinks if he's going to be mad at Fred and not have lunch with him in Port St. Lucie? Because I'm going to tell you, someone's going to hire him. And when Viola's on another team doing some good things, I don't want to hear it from you guys when Worthen is still waddling out to the mound telling jokes and, and, and worried about his Fitbit. As far as, you know, a solution rather than me griping and complaining, there really isn't. You got Mats and Lugo coming back. They seem to have pitched fairly well in the minor leagues. They're, you know, Mats, again, in Vegas, you just don't know what you're going to get, although Mats pitched pretty well in Vegas when he was coming up. He had some shaky outings this time around as he was getting ready. Uh, That certainly can't hurt. That brings two arms into the rotation. The question is who comes out, and it sounds like it's Gazelman who they may put into a closer setup role, and they need him badly because Reed is a mess. Very shaky. They don't have enough depth out there, especially when they have to bring in uh, arms in the sixth inning. So it sounds like it's Gazelman. But I'll tell you something. This Harvey thing, if he's going to go out and when that score seven runs, he can't get a win? Then what the hell is he doing in the rotation? Put him in the bullpen. I'll tell you what. You really want to shake this guy up? Send him down to AAA, and God help if he goes down to AAA and Frank Viola helps him. That's an indictment. And you want to know something? Don't be surprised that these two hacks in the dugout don't want that to happen. Trust me. I found it peculiar. I know James Wagner did respond and say that he wrote the story. And that's fine. I know he did. I'm sure he came up with the story idea to interview Worthen. But he was a chatty Cathy when things are going bad. I haven't heard Dan Worthen talk about his process that much in a long time. And I got to tell you, if you go to the James Wagner article in the New York Times... Um, what was it the Wall Street Journal? I, I, let me make sure I get this right because I might be saying it wrong. I thought it was the – it probably might be the Wall Street Journal. I'm saying it wrong. It's probably the Wall Street Journal. James Wagner, who's the beat reporter for uh, – yeah, it's the um, – no, it's the New York Times. Why did I get confused on that? It's the New York Times. <clears throat> You know, regardless, I lost my train of thought there. Regardless, wasn't impressed by what I read about Dan Worth in that article. If anything, it made me dislike his process even more than normal. But I'll tell you what. I mean, the bullpen for Harvey, instead of Gazellman, who's, who's, who's got some momentum, I'm not opposed to that. I understand that might be putting more kerosene on the fire, but at this point, you know, maybe that that short stint, that one inning, he'll get his velocity back up, he'll get his confidence back up, playing in some uh, big moments, getting big outs. Maybe that's what he needs. Wouldn't be the first guy to get taken out of the rotation, put in the bullpen, 
and find himself. Maybe that's what he needs. We'll see what Danny Nobler of uh, Bleacher Report thinks. He's going to be joining me in just a minute. Of course, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and go to iTunes. Leave me a review. Would really appreciate it if you like the show. Let's take a break. You've heard enough from me. Let's hear from Danny Nobler of the Bleacher Report and his thoughts about what's going on around the league as well as the Mets. We'll throw in a little Yankees right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and uh, joining me is Danny Nobler. You guys know Danny many years over at CBS. He's over at the Bleacher Report, uh, has a book out about the Detroit Tigers called uh, Numbers Don't Lie, and uh, he's joining us on this Sunday. You can check him out on Twitter, at Danny Nobler. Danny, thanks a lot for joining us. How are you doing today? Good, Mike. How are you? Can't complain, and let's start with uh, going around the league a little bit. You just uh, wrote an interesting piece over at Bleacher Report regarding Albert Pujols, Bit of a, um, I guess, what if, you know, what if Albert yeah. Pujols never left the uh, the Cardinals' 600th home run this past weekend? I think you'd agree. In his heyday, just as feared as Bonds as a hitter at the plate, uh, everyone's surprised he left St. Louis. But what's interesting, Danny, is the Cardinals maybe in the uh, the mold of what the the old Celtics never did is they let him go a little bit early rather than a little bit late. If you look back at the whole thing, huh? Yeah, I mean, it it kind of worked out that way. I mean, a lot of it had to do with what year he came up for free agency, and it had to do – I mean, the Cardinals did make him offers. They made him big offers. And it wasn't an absolute – it wasn't like the Cardinals shoved him out the door. Now, they did not make as big an offer as the Angels made, and they didn't show him the love the Angels did. Artie Moreno really, really wanted him. Flew into, uh, I think it was uh, Dallas, the winter meetings were that year, and met with uh, Albert uh, and made sure that Albert knew that the Angels really wanted him. And Albert was uh, very receptive to the sales pitch. And to be fair, the Cardinals play in the National League. Albert, uh, the last couple of years, has been mostly a DH. Uh, Would not have been able, obviously, to do that with the Cardinals. Who knows how things would have turned out. Uh, there's no guarantee Albert would have had better numbers in St. Louis than he has had in uh, in Anaheim, that he would have gotten hurt less than he has in Anaheim. Uh, the one guarantee you could have is that because of what he had done in his career up to that point, 
and because of the championships he helped the Cardinals win and what a big part of the St. Louis community he was, even if his numbers had fallen off the way they have in Anaheim, number 600 would have been a much bigger deal in St. Louis than it was in Southern California. And I agree with that. And he doesn't, I mean, I know he's 37. He's got four years left on the deal. Who knows with the bad feet, but he is a DH now. He has a shot at 700. I mean, you could still hit a lot of home runs in the modern game, even if you're not the uh, the, the slugger that you uh, that you once were. Be interesting if he if he can get to that level. And I mean, he's a Hall of Famer now, but that would put him in some very rare company. Let's put it that way. Yes. Yeah. Look, Albert deserves to be put in rare company in any case, even if he had not not done anything in Anaheim. And he has he has had decent years in Anaheim. They, they, he hasn't been a horrible player for the Angels when he's been healthy. He, he's uh, he's hit 30, even 40 home runs. He's driven 100 runs. Uh, his batting average has not been what it was. He, he His overall game is not what it was when he was in St. Louis. His best year in Anaheim is still worse than his worst year in St. Louis. But he's he's still he's, – he's not a useless player. He's just not the best player in the game. Like uh, you could have argued he was at the time he signed with the Angels, uh, but uh, y- yeah, he could he could get to 700 home runs with the help of the DH. But nothing wrong with that. That's uh, uh, most guys who are getting there, uh, getting anywhere near there these days. Even the 600 are getting there with the help of the DH uh, because because of how long you have to play to get there. It's a lot of home runs, and uh, he would have to continue. At at least his current pace, and uh, for the you know a lot, and maybe not the entire rest of the contract, but for a lot of the contract, and we'll see if he can do it. Uh, he's he has slowed down a lot in a lot of parts of his game, but he is still hitting home runs. He still has the ability to hit home runs. If he continues that, um, he could certainly get close to uh, 700. Whether he actually gets there, well, we'll, we'll see. Absolutely, I'm with me, Danny Nobler of uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, the 10-year contract, uh, for a while, that was a big thing. If you go back to 99, 2000, it slowed down. Even with the big sluggers, there was hesitation giving out those kind of contracts. I know that Pujols was north of 30 when he got his. You have some big names coming up on the market in the next couple of years, a lot younger than Pujols. But to me, 10-year contracts are dangerous for a lot of reasons, regardless of who the player is, especially as you get to the back end. Uh, do you think that seeing what happened here, not just with, but in general, with the way the game is, the economics, forget about pitchers, even with hitters, uh, do you think there might be some hesitation going this deep on contracts, even for great players? Because it's a, a decade is a long time for anybody. Look, there's always hesitation. There was hesitation on Albert's contract. There was hesitation on A-Rod's contract with the Yankees. There's hesitation on every one of those contracts. On the other hand, there's also competition for the best players. And when you get the angels didn't give Albert 10 years because they said, Oh, you know what? That's uh, we, we think he's going to be a great player for the next 10 years. They gave him 10 years because they knew that was what it was going to take to give themselves a chance to sign him. And when you get to the best players of today's game, who are going to be coming onto the free agent market at a much younger age. And so there's risk, but there's less risk signing a guy at, do a 10-year deal at 25 or 26 or 27 than there is uh, at 31, 32. 
but there's always going to be risk. On the other hand, let's say Bryce Harper gets to the free agent market, Manny Machado gets to the free agent market, uh, maybe Chris Bryant at some point gets to the free agent market. Uh, you know, if you don't give him 10 years, you might not get him because there could be another team that gives him 10 years. And so, you know, it's, it's, these contracts are for free agents are not, it's, it's not based only on logic because a team can make a decision and say, well, we're never going to give a contract longer than five years. The, the Blue Jays for a long time had done that, said we weren't going to go longer than five years. And that's a fine position to take. But if you're going to take that position, basically what you're doing is you're saying we're not going to compete for the top guys on the market because they're going to get those offers elsewhere, so you're not going to get them. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be hesitation, but is there more hesitation in giving a guy 10 years or is there more hesitation in saying we're never going to get any of the top players on the free agent market? That's a very fair point. Uh, it's been an – I mean, look, now you're in June. You've got to start taking records seriously. It's not really early anymore. Uh, fair to say it's the Houston Astros, and to a certain degree, everybody else, I mean, they, they are having that 84 Tigers – 86 Mets, dare I say, 98 Yankees. They're not going to win, I think, 120 games. But they're having that kind of start, and especially after they were disappointing last year. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Astros, who even with all that uh, you know, good play, I still think kind of get a little bit overlooked. People haven't really been talking about them as much as I would have been you know, thinking about at this point in the season. Yeah, I think to a certain extent that's true. And part of it is playing in the Western Division, even though they're in the central time zone, a, a, a lot of their games uh, are played late at night on the East Coast uh, when they're playing in Anaheim, playing in Oakland, playing in Seattle, where they have uh, uh, nine road games apiece in e- each of those cities. Uh, but uh, they, uh, they've taken over that division and the other teams in the division, none of them are playing terribly well, but the Astros are playing very well, and they've played very well not against, not only against the teams in that division, but against some of the top teams in the other divisions. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, who were off to surprising good starts, still are. The, the Astros went into Minnesota and destroyed them. They, they, had, they overcame the eight-run deficit. They had a huge eighth and ninth innings in that one game and blew them out the next game. They have a lineup that is really class. And I think it's not a huge surprise. They had a lot of good young talent already. And a lot of people looked at the moves they made over the winter in getting uh, McCann and, and adding Carlos Beltran and adding Josh Reddick. And a lot of people looked at those as very good moves. A lot of people wondered. The one question about the Astros was, the top of their rotation wasn't going to be good enough. Well, there's still questions about that. On the other hand, Dallas Keiko has returned to his Cy Young form from a couple of years ago. He really is right now a number one starter. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. looks like a really top-level pitcher. The bottom of their rotation is not all that strong. They've been able to overcome it in the regular season, at, at least to this point and probably all the way through, for one thing, they score so many runs. I think there will be questions as we go into uh, the end of this month and into July, what, how strongly the Astros pursue 
another starting pitcher and what what starting pitcher that is and what level it gets to and and whether they go get somebody because when you're in the position the Astros are in right now it's not about winning the division anymore they, if they don't win the division now it's a total disaster that's probably not going to happen when you have a year like they have you're starting to think we have we should have a chance at winning the world series and obviously a lot of things happen in short series in october but teams like the astros want to give themselves the best possible chance at it the cubs were in that spot last year they had a, a large lead in the division but they went and made moves got obviously a role as chapman part that had something to do with them going on and, and finally winning a world series well the astros are going to look at things like that. They may not have a hundred years of history like the Cubs did, but they want, they would love to think that this team can win a world series. And they, they just like the Cubs, it's not a one year deal. The Cubs feel like they're going to be good for quite a few years to come. So do the Astros right now, but the Astros are going to look and see if they can turn what's already a, a special start to a year into a full special year. And that's going to be uh how that's going to be what we watch over the next couple of months and, and really over the rest of the season then. But I guess you would call somewhat of a surprise or maybe you didn't expect them to be where they were or where they are at this point in the season. Milwaukee, Colorado, uh, Arizona to a certain degree. I put Minnesota. Those are the four teams in both leagues. Are, are You think these four are here to stay? Uh, certainly I believe Colorado is. I, I'm, I'm still feeling out the other three. Um, what are your thoughts there, especially with the respect to the Brewers, because the Cubs have gotten off to a slow start? Yeah, I mean, the Brewers don't have a, a, a great, great record. They they play pretty well at home, uh, but they don't have a great, great record. They, they've, they've done well uh, in the standings because that division, nobody, not just the Cubs, nobody has really played that well in the NL Central so far. Uh but I, I think people still expect, and I, I do, the Cubs to eventually win that division. Um, I, I think the Brewers have made progress. I don't think they're a, a playoff team. Uh, in the National League right now, though, when you look ahead and you, you try to determine, if you assume that the Dodgers are the best team in the in the West, and I know their their record right now is very similar to uh, the Rockies and also the Diamondbacks, uh, and if you assume that the Nationals are the best team in the East, which th- their record is quite a bit better than any of the teams in the East, and if you assume that eventually the Cubs are going to win the Central, I, I think th- there's a general feeling that those are the three best teams in the league. Well, you have to have two other teams make the playoffs. And the question then becomes, two next two best records right now are the uh, are, are the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, and do you believe in both of them as as, as two teams? If not, Somebody else is going to have to make it. And the next level of teams, at least as far as their record is so far, is jumbled up. Nobody is very far over 500, if at all. And, uh, and, And so that opens it up for a lot of other teams. Now, can the Rockies and the Diamondbacks both stay up there? I have my doubts. I have my doubts about both of them. I do like the Rockies. Going forward, I think the Rock. I'm not surprised that the Rockies are improved. I'm not surprised that the Rockies are are going in the right direction. They had a, 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 when I saw them last year and talked to scouts who had seen their minor leagues. 
people talked about the talent they already had and they had coming up and they still have coming. This is an improved team. Their pitching so far has been something of a surprise. Whether that can continue for the rest of the year, I think that's what everybody's going to be watching. It's a young rotation. Can they? We're, we're not even at the halfway point of the season. The season gets long for young players and especially for young pitchers. Can they keep that up? I, that's what people are going to be watching. I don't know if they can. We're going to have to uh, have to see how that plays out. If they do, because of the start they've gotten off to, they're going to be a playoff team. But there's a long way to go from uh, the first week of June to the uh, first week of October. I'm with me, Danny Nobler of uh, the Bleacher Report. Long time in the business. Uh, pleasure to have him on today. Let's let's bring that locally because the Mets lost again today. Uh, obviously, here locally in New York, everybody's really uh, at a point where uh, you don't want to give up on this team. You're not saying they're sellers. Eight games out of the wild card. But every time you feel like things are moving forward, they kind of move back. And, and they're stuck somewhat in neutral here. Day off before they start a really tough stretch in the Braves, but they have the Cubs coming up soon. They go to Texas, the Nationals. They have a West Coast trip. Um, you know, at times, I mean, it wasn't too long ago on a similar type of uh, scenario, uh, they fired Willie Randolph. Uh, the pitching has been really bad. I'm not saying that it's in Sandy Alderson's DNA maybe to fire the manager, but maybe they look at the, replacing the pitching coach. they got a really good pitching coach down in AAA and Frank Viola. The pitching has been a disappointment. Uh, where do you see the Mets, and do you, do you see that kind of move, even though it may just be a short-term jolt as something that's viable, uh, considering how uh, stuck in neutral, like I said, they are right now? I, I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything the Mets would do. I think that would be kind of a silly thing to do, but uh, it, it would be trying to show people how much they're trying to change things rather than actually changing anything. Uh, but that wouldn't be out of realm for the Mets uh, ownership to do. Um, I don't think that's a Sandy Alderson type of move, um, but it could be a Wilpon move. You never know. Uh, I, I do think that this next stretch is very interesting for the Mets, not just because of who they play, and it's true their schedule does get more difficult, uh, at least the, the names on the schedule get more difficult, but also because you mentioned the injuries, and the injuries are a big deal. And they've been playing without their best starting pitcher, their best reliever, and their best hitter for several weeks now. Their best starting pitcher and their best relief pitcher aren't coming back anytime soon. They may get Syndergaard back late, you know, sometime in the second half of the year. They might get familiar back sometime in the last month or maybe month and a half of the year if things go very well. But that's a long time from now, and, and they've got to get themselves righted before that ever happens. The Syndergaard of Familiar won't be able to help them over this next stretch that they need help. On the other hand, they should have Ioannis Cespedes coming back at some point. And in the rotation, they should have and they will have apparently Seth Lugo and Steven Matz coming in, which will enable them to put Robert Gazelman in the bullpen, which he looked pretty good in a couple of the bullpen stints when they didn't need a fifth starter and they put him in. So this next few weeks is going to be interesting because we're going to see 
whether that makes a difference. Their starting pitching has not been good enough. Is Do Mats and Lugo help change that? And does Gazoman then help change the bullpen? And while their lineup hasn't been a big problem, they've scored some runs, does Cespedes give them a boost? In the past, he has. This team has played better with Yoannis Cespedes in the lineup than they've played when Cespedes hasn't been able to play. So how much of a difference does that make? We're going to see that over the next few weeks. These are an important few weeks for the Mets. I was surprised that Nick Cafardo, who I respect quite a bit, the baseball writer of the Boston Globe, when he was going over buyers and sellers, he kind of matter-of-factly put the Mets in as sellers. And I don't think that's a definite at all. I think that if they have a, next, a horrible next month, that could certainly happen. But I don't think that's what – I would be very surprised if that's what Mets ownership and Mets management is thinking right now. I think what they're thinking is let's see how – they get somewhat healthier. They're not going to get all the way healthy, but get somewhat healthier. What kind of a difference does this make? It goes back to what I said when we were talking about the Rockies and Diamondbacks. Unless you believe that those two teams are going to take off and just they're going to wrap up a wild card, two wild card spots in the National League, both of them. If you don't look at those two teams, the Mets aren't very far out of a uh, behind anyone else. So. Unless you unless you think that it's going to be hard to catch either of those two teams, one of those two teams, the Mets aren't that far from catching anyone else. But obviously, as far below 500 as they've been, they're not catching anybody. They have to play better. But the fact of the matter is, given the way the National League is right now, if they do play better, there's a very real chance they would be in contention for a wild card spot. I don't think there's any chance, any significant chance they can catch the Nationals. But I don't think it's at all out of the question that they could be in contention for a wild card spot. But they're going to have to play better. You mentioned Familia. Uh, you mentioned bringing Gazelman into the bullpen. Now there has been some talk, and not from the Mets, but more you know talk radio fan type of talk is, wouldn't Harvey be a better option for the bullpen? You wrote about Harvey a few weeks back. Uh, the star is certainly tarnished. Uh, yes, he's had a couple of surgeries. Right now, it's a lot of. Uh, you know, command issues, which I'm not, I'm sure is related to the surgery, but some of that could be mental. Some of that certainly is physical. There's a whole myriad of things that could be going on there. Would a bullpen stint potentially be something that uh, could help him? I mean, other than Gazelle, has done a decent job recently in the rotation. I think, I think if you're looking at someone who could help you in the bullpen, Gazelle would be a much better choice. Uh, I, I think that, and if you're looking at what can help Harvey, that's a harder question. But I think for a guy coming back from a couple surgeries, I think he needs a more regular schedule and more regular, a regular type of starting work. Whether it's going to happen, whether he's going to get it all together, I have no idea. But it wouldn't shock me if, it, if he did. Uh, now, uh, how long can they go if he doesn't uh, perform well? That's an interesting question, and I don't think their patience is going to be forever, but at the same time, I don't think they have a great other option. The idea that you would just put him – what what would you plan to do with him in the bullpen? I have a, I have an idea what you could do with Gazelman in the bullpen because we've already seen it. With a guy who's been inconsistent the way Harvey has, would it make sense to then throw him in 
Was it putting him in high-leverage situations in the seventh and eighth inning? I don't know that that's a great answer to the, to any of the Mets' problems. I think it's a nice talk radio thing to say, but I don't know if that's a realistic uh, option at this point. Last thing before I let you run, you obviously the Yankees got off to a good start. They've cooled a little bit. Uh, they have the Red Sox this week. Uh, the position players have uh, certainly stood out uh, here early on, still have some pitching issues. Um, Chapman and uh, hearing rotator cuff always uh, concerns me. Uh, but they still have a lot of depth in that bullpen. Uh, interesting team, team that we didn't expect to be terrible, but not a contender per se. Uh, thoughts on the Yankees here uh, early June? Well, they've been a contender, and they've made themselves into a contender, uh, That a team that you have to take seriously when you look at playoff spots. Whether they can hold on, they've been in first place, whether they can hold on to that, well, we're, we're going to get some interesting answers really some of them maybe this week when they play the uh, Red Sox and Orioles at home. But you mentioned the starting pitching. I think that's going to be still the biggest issue. And we're going to see Tanaka. I think, I think he goes Tuesday right from the start. He had a good start against the A's. He had a terrible start then against the Orioles. Now he goes against the Red Sox. What are they going to get out of him? Can they count on him at all to be, a, a, a front-line starting pitcher. Jordan Montgomery's looked outstanding, but is he a guy who you feel comfortable with? Pineda, his last start wasn't very good after. He's pitched very well all year. Uh, is he going to be fine? Is this finally the year that he's consistent for most of a season? I don't know about that. Severino actually has been very good. I, I, I'm not I'm not shocked by that, and I actually think uh, – that he will be pretty good, but another young guy. If the, the thing about the Yankees is, if they get to next month and they feel like this is a team that just needs help in the rotation to make itself a, a potential championship team this year, they have the assets in the minor leagues. Obviously, they have money, but they have the assets in the minor leagues if they want to, to try to go help that rotation out. And that's a decision that they're going to have to make, whether it makes sense for them to do that this year. And uh, we'll see. A lot of it has to do with how they play over the next month and how that starting rotation performs over the next month. Danny, what do you got coming up? Anything you want the listeners to know about? Obviously, you're at Twitter, at Danny Nobler, uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, what else you got going on? Oh, I'm going to be uh, no, I'm going to be writing a, a few different columns. I got a column coming up this week on Michael Conforto. Uh, we'll, uh, something in the near future on Dylan Bundy. Uh, we've got some other projects we're working on, but nothing, uh, no, nothing else uh, definite to talk about yet. Well, listen, appreciate you being generous with your time on a Sunday. Look forward to catching up with you as the season goes on. Be well, and uh, let's do it again. All righty? Thanks, Mike. Good talk to you. Have a great Sunday. That's Danny Nobler of uh, Leecher Report, and uh, you can check him out at Danny Nobler on Twitter. Uh, all great stuff over at CBS uh, for many, many years. And uh, well, he, like many other journalists, have made the transition from some of those larger outlets to uh, almost like independent contractors and has an interesting book about the Detroit Tigers. No, this is a Mets podcast, but if you're interested in baseball history and want to learn a little bit more about the Detroit Tigers, uh, basically goes through the Detroit Tigers' history and numbers and what have you. Hey, uh, let's take a quick break and wrap up with final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet 
at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts. That was uh, Danny Nobler of Bleach Report. Uh, great segment. Appreciate him coming on. Had him on last year, and um, and away you go. So, well, what's next here at the Talking Mets podcast? Well, we have the draft this month. We'll certainly try to get some draft coverage. Uh, I haven't really been paying attention to the mock, so we'll have that coming up. Uh, I'm going to try to get uh, somebody down out in Vegas, talk a little bit about Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario. I know that Michael Mayer of uh, – Mets Miners and Mets Marized Online does a great job covering and really giving us uh, good content and, and some scouting reports. I mean, look, you know, he was on a couple of weeks ago. He nailed Tyler Pill perfectly, perfectly. I mean, that, 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 that's a 4A player, and Michael Mayer's scouting report and his thoughts on Pill and how he would fare at the big league level have been uh, pretty prophetic. So, you know, we got some of the, uh, the, the best – individuals who may not be the biggest names, but the best individuals on this podcast, I think sometimes to give you the information you need uh, regarding those types of things. But I'll try to see what I can do to get out to Vegas. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll get our buddy Russ Langer play by play man for the, uh, the 51s out there and maybe talk to him. We'll see. We'll, we'll try to figure it out. It's getting harder and harder because of the way that the newspaper business has been going to get local beat writers, especially on the minor league level that really know the game and cover the game. Don't just, tweet scores and play-by-play and recaps and things like that. So so a lot coming up in June. I don't know if there'll be meaningful baseball games much longer. I think that, uh, you know, this could get pretty ugly uh, with the schedule coming out over the next few weeks. Um, and the last thing I expected was to be doing a podcast here uh, with a team that's going nowhere uh, because that's going to be tough because now you're talking about them being sellers. You're talking about next year and, uh, you know, Interest will wane pretty quickly, even for the most hardened, diehard Mets fan when uh, NFL training camps come around in August and fantasy football and you got hockey in the NBA just around the corner. And, uh, you know, those are those are some of the toughest shows, especially when you do singular niche content. Unless you guys want to talk about the Yankees, we could do that, of course. So anyway, I don't think you want to do. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me tonight. Of course, I want to thank Danny Nobler. Check him out at Twitter. Uh, at Danny Nobler, of course, at the Bleacher Report as well. Of course, check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and go to iTunes, leave me a review. Check the show out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, whatever podcasting serves you to desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your evening. See you next week.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.